Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. Tent, tent setup kit, tarp, double sleeping bag, extra blankets, violet sleeping bag, shade tent, sleeping mats, camp chair, camping pillows, folding table, Swiss Army knife, day pack, board games, lanterns, hanging wait, lights, wait. water. How long is this packing list? <laughs> it goes on for like a couple more pages. Oh, God. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Craft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we talk about why it's important to go outside our comfort zones, both personally and professionally. We'll also call our agent and ask him to answer the question we get asked all the time. How do you get an agent? Plus, our weekly Hollywood hack. But first, let's revisit the subject of crazy bosses. Um, In episode 19, we talked about how to survive a crazy boss. Yes. And Sarah, luckily, we didn't hear from our former crazy boss, (laughs) Sam, at least not yet. But we did get a bunch of emails on the topic. Jill wrote to say, loved your conversation on crazy bosses. I once had a boss who was totally unpredictable. Either you were her BFF or she felt threatened by your success and she made your life miserable. So all the employees, even her boss, walked on eggshells every day, not knowing which camp we'd be in that day. Well, one day my boss thought no one was there and I overheard her speaking to someone on the phone about taking another job. I texted the coworker I was closest to and said, you'll never guess who's taking another job. Insert our endearing nickname for her here. The problem was I accidentally sent it to her. Let's just say I was not her BFF that day. <laughs> Ultimately, she didn't take the job and I had to survive another six months with her until she got fired. I've never taken good bosses for granted since then. Oh, my God. Yikes. Have we ever done that? (laughs) Have you ever sent a text or an email, like, to the person that you're gossiping about? No, I never have. Have you? Um, No, I've in a personal situation, I've texted the wrong person. I've texted (laughs) about someone to someone else. So I have done that, but not in a work situation yet. Eek. 
Um, we try to say never text or email anything you wouldn't want anyone to hear just because you never know. Yes. And then Joyce emailed that, like us, she says, I'm an obliger and I think terrible bosses have a special radar for us. They hire us because they instinctively know that they can bully us and that we are driven to be good employees no matter how stressful the working conditions become. Ah, now she's referring to um, the four tendencies, the personality framework uh, my sister Gretchen Rubin invented and has a new book out about, um, (laughs) incidentally. Um, And there are four types, obligers, upholders, rebels, and questioners, and you and I are obligers. And so is Joyce, and that means we really respond to people's expectations, and it can be easy to take advantage of that. Yeah, and... I mean, that's an interesting question. Like, do people have radar for us? You know, I think they do. I think if someone comes into a meeting and they're the kind of person who doesn't, isn't going to sort of put up with that from a bad boss, I bet Uh they sense it immediately. Right away. Yes, that's true. So if you're a challenging boss, one of the things you're specifically looking for is someone who's going to put up with you, basically. Um, Which puts it on us to watch out for those people. Absolutely. The best way to do it is before the job starts. Look out for them. And we've talked about this when we talked about crazy bosses. Ask around. If you hear they're crazy, believe it. Yes. So thanks, everybody, for all um, the emails about crazy bosses. (laughs) Keep them coming. We love your stories. So, Liz, let's get started with From the Treadmill Desks of, where we talk about what's pressing in our psyches this week. And today we're thinking about going outside of our comfort zones. Yes, and this is on our mind because last weekend you went way outside your comfort zone. You went camping. Yes. Just you and Violet, the two of you. And this is something you're not a camper. No. So tell us, like why you decided to do this and why it's outside of your comfort zone. I decided to do it for a bunch of reasons. One is just I've been reading this book about how nature is so important for you, for your mental health and your physical health. And I also just I want Violet to be a kid who's comfortable, like in the out of doors and who can sleep in a tent and just embraces that kind of experience. And, you know, I think if she's the younger she starts, the better. And I am mean, I am not a camper. Uh, We did not go tent camping when I was a kid. I told my aunt we were going tent camping, and she was just like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Um, Super, super, super outside my comfort zone. And it took a ton of preparation. I was terrified, honestly. But it was so worth it. Well, what's interesting is I saw your packing list for this camping trip. And, you know, camping is also outside of my comfort zone. Not a surprise, I'm sure. And outside of Adam, my husband's comfort zone. Yeah. And I have been saying to him for years, we really need to go camping because it's important for Jack. And as a family, it's just something he needs to do growing up. And Adam's like, no, I don't camp. And so we've been sort of <laughs> arguing about this lightly for years. And then once I saw your packing list, I said, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'll just keep camping out of my comfort zone. <laughs> it looked so daunting. It was an insane list. Uh, it you know, when you haven't gone camping before, you have to get a bazillion things from like sleeping pads to, you know, a tent. To, I got a Coleman stove, uh, like sticks to put marshmallows and hot dogs. On. It's like 
you have to start from scratch. But that, to me, I'm an over-preparer and an yes. over-buyer. You know? So for me, the planning part was really fun. Now, as your friend and writing partner, my observation about why you did this mm-hmm. partly was because you're an only parent. And I feel like you're super sensitive to Violet not missing out on anything mm. because you're an only parent. And this is just all of my armchair analysis. <laughs> and I feel like you think, well, dads are sort of in charge of camping. Uh-huh. So I want to make sure I'm filling that role and uh-huh. that she's not missing out on something just because she's the daughter of an only parent. Do you think there's any truth to that? Uh, yeah, 100% I do. I think... I don't think it's so much that, like, dads take kids camping. Yeah, we'll hear from a lot of people who say moms say, of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do. But in my mind, dads, that takes the pressure off me. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, but I do think because I'm an only parent, it's a big thing to take on alone. Yeah. And I don't want to not do something just because I'm the only one doing it, if that makes sense. Yes, you don't want to be hampered by that. Yeah, I don't want Violet to lose out on the experience of camping just because You're she just has one parent. And yeah. I'm, like, terrified of taking her into the woods. I mean, it really was the best experience. She was, like, the closest to free-range parenting I've ever come. She, like, had the best time. She made friends. She loved being in the tent. It was really, like, the perfect first camping experience. Well, good for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, Liz, when have you gone outside of your comfort zone? Probably the most impactful time for me I ever went out of my comfort zone was when I did natural childbirth. Uh Um, No epidural, you know, just had the baby. Yes. (laughs) Um, And what was interesting is the reason I decided to do it is because, you know, I am not a religious or spiritual person. Right. But I had this notion, maybe it was the hormones, that (laughs) if I did natural childbirth, I would be connected to generations of women. Like I would sort of feel this ancestral ritual and it would like connect me to the past. And did you feel that? No, I did. I felt pain. I did not feel connected to the past. And, you know, what was interesting when I was preparing for this is that A lot of people had a really negative reaction to the idea of me doing it. And I think because it seems so outside of my comfort zone, they were just really put off. It was Uh like, wait, Liz is doing this? This completely changes everything I think I know about her. You know what I mean? It really messed with their heads. But again, I was determined. And while I didn't feel connected with generations of women— I did come away from it, like, incredibly empowered, which yeah. I wasn't looking for. Right. It was like, I think because also I am so physically weak and I'm not good at sports and all of that, that it's the first time I ever had a physical accomplishment. Right. And it made me feel like, okay, if I can do that, I can really do anything. And I have, I feel like it fundamentally changed me and that I have, like, never gone back to the person before. Right. Wow. So it was very powerful. Did you feel that way camping? Do you feel (laughs) fundamentally changed? I do. I mean, much different than like delivering a nine pound, nine ounce baby with no (laughs) epidural, which is, I mean, that's wow. Um, But yeah, I did. I felt, I definitely felt empowered by it. And I definitely felt like, okay, there are things that I don't think I can do that now I, I know I really can do. So God if I knows make enough what, lists, <laughs> Lord knows what you're going to do next. Yeah. I can't wait to see. 
Of course, Sarah, we're talking about times where you've gone outside of our comfort zone in our personal life, but I mean, going outside of your comfort zone in your career is incredibly important. Yes. And unfortunately for me, we picked a career where like one of the fundamental components of our career is something that is super outside of my comfort zone, uh, which is being in a writer's room. Right. We have to sit around and talk and pitch ideas. And you're, um, I guess you're, are you, a, do you consider yourself an introvert? I, I mean, or shy. Kind of, yes, I definitely when we first started, I was shy and I had a, a really hard time expressing myself in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I would blush all the mm. time. Well, unlike me, though, you at least could speak. Remember, I had the <laughs> squeak voice that came out. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so just 17 years later, now I'm super comfortable in a writer's room. But stepping outside my comfort zone in that way has been so important. Yeah. And any time that we've progressed significantly in our career, it's because we've actively stepped out of our comfort zone, like going on the shield. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, a very edgy uh, cable show that we love, but we're like, can we do this? We were terrified. Two girls from the Midwest. Yes, we were terrified, but we did it, and that was a huge step in our career. Yes, developing our first pilot, which became our first show. I mean, talk about taking a leap and stepping outside our comfort zones, but we just tackled it head on. Yeah, and it's funny. I think you and I are both, even though we think we don't like being out of our comfort zone, I feel like we do. Right. Um, <laughs> I remember the time we were in Budapest. Ugh. It was like 3.30 in the morning. We were filming a pilot, and we were in the woods, in the mud, and you looked at me, and we were miserable, it's fair yeah. to say. And you looked at me, and you said, we must enjoy doing this because we keep doing it. Right. And it was like we were so outside our comfort zone, but yet we were kind of thriving. Exactly. I, I mean, I think you can argue that the only reason to do something at work or in your personal life is because it's out of your comfort zone. You know, you and Gretchen talk about living in an atmosphere of growth. Yes, on the um, Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. That's a big topic of discussion. Yes, and it's it really is how you... Just expand your horizons and realize that there's there's more out there that you can do. Okay. Next stop, spin class. Oh, God. <laughs> that is really outside my comfort zone. <laughs> we'll talk. Do you like to go outside of your comfort zone? When is the time that you did? What was the result? We want to know. Email us at happierinhollywood.com or leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is now the biggest agency in the world. 
and I'm the head of it, which makes me the biggest agent in the world. Now, can anyone tell me why I chose to be the biggest agent in the world? It's so I can stop being a fucking agent. So don't tell me to show the love. That's what I pay you people for. That was Jeremy Piven playing super agent Ari Gold in Entourage, which can only mean one thing, Sarah. It's time to call our agent. Yes. Over the last few weeks, months, years, we've gotten the same question over and over. How do you get an agent? So we decided to go straight to the source for an answer. Our agent of 15 years, Matt Solo, who's a partner at one of Hollywood's biggest and fanciest agencies, William Morris Endeavor, a.k.a. WME. Waffle, can you get Matt for us? Matt Solo's office. Hi, Kimberlyn. I have Liz and Sarah on the line for Matt. Hi, let me see if I have them. Hey, Matt. Hi, everybody. Do I sound okay? You (laughs) You sound great. Okay. (laughs) We wanted to talk to you today because so many people have asked us how to get an agent. And we, you know, we're not the experts and you are. It seems like this totally magical, mysterious thing. And we just want to know from your perspective as an actual agent, what is the answer to this question that plagues writers? I want to start by saying this. (laughs) Seriously, don't be discouraged. If you are talented, you will get an agent and you will have a career. Okay? So that's a true thing. So you will not be discouraged by anything I say after this. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, wow. What are we in for? (laughs) I'm going to speak for myself. I don't want to speak on behalf of the company I happen to work for or any other company or any other agent. But I do think it's reasonable to extrapolate out from what I'm saying. But I'm only speaking for myself. Here's the thing. For me... And, you know, at a certain level, you're very busy. You are looking for people who make money or make a lot of money. And the people who are looking for agents are people whose careers haven't taken off yet. Right. So think about it this way. No one is signing somebody at that level because they think they're going to make lots of money. Mm. They're, well, I mean, they have to dream about it. But they're signing somebody at that level because they have a dream. Weirdly, as cynical as you might think all agents and representatives and executives are, We're still dreaming. We still love a great story. We still love great writing. That's why we got into this, or directing, why we got into this. So it's not like you'll never take a shot on somebody coming in, because that's the dream. You find something amazing, and you're so excited about it. But it's a lot of work, and for zero money for a long time. So it's not, one is not motivated to read scores and scores of unrepresented writers who come in over the transom, and so one doesn't. When I see an email that comes in, as so many do every single day, you know, from people I don't know saying, would you read my screenplay? I just hit delete because it's just, there's too much stuff. I've got no connection to that email and I'm busy. So that's really unlikely to work. And that person might be super talented too, right? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely can be the case. At that level, two things are going on. One is I want to hear from somebody I know who says, I read this writer or I saw this film and I loved it and you should look at it. I don't think they're represented. If somebody I know or know of calls me and says that, I probably will give that material the time of day. Mm. Yeah, Matt, that's how we got you, actually, is our friend Bob Fisher recommended us to you. Bob Fisher, who wrote Wedding Crashers, among other things. (laughs) Right, but you know what's funny is I seem to remember that it was uh, Nicole Norwood. Oh, yes. 
And Nicole was an executive, junior executive at Disney at the time, but she had been my assistant. Oh, um, I never knew that. We owe so that, much to Nicole that, and she said, You guys were on some show. I forget which one it was. I think it was an old Kevin Williamson show. Yeah. And she, you're baby writers. And she said, you know, I really like these guys. You should read them. And that's why I read you. But here's the other thing for anybody who's listening in is that there are people who are far more receptive to incoming writers to read, which are like, there's a, that's why most managers are in the business. It's, ah. not, it's not that people necessarily need a manager or they don't. That's a whole separate question. Mm-hmm. But a lot of managers are out there looking under rocks for new talent because that's really how they get their clients and make their bones and introduce them to people like me. So we tend to find a lot of our new clients like that through managers who call and recommend, and they've taken the risk that we didn't. I mean, they, are, they, they spent the time. They typically have fewer clients and more time, and, you know, they're more willing to roll the dice uh, more of the time. Um, so they do. You don't necessarily need a manager. You know, you just need someone to get us to read. The other way to go is if you know an executive or the assistant to an executive who's enterprising who would read something and then give it to their boss, and the boss reads it because that's really great. And then the next time an agent talks to them and says, you know, have you read anybody great lately? They'll say, yes, you know what? I read this one thing a week ago I thought was great. Then the agent's going to oh, let me look at it. You want the agent chasing you. Mm, right. Right. Rather than you chasing the agents, like life. Well, and life, what is that like bar? That. Like, once you read someone, what are you looking for that's going to make you want to sign them? You know, there's two things, actually. I thought about this because you were going to ask me. One, one, there's just a magic. It's indefinable. It's just, you know, if it's on the screen or on the page, we don't forget that we've read thousands and thousands of scripts over the years. So we just, all of us have a a pretty highly refined sense of what it is we like and what we're looking for. But I would say this, you know, you're looking for talent. That's indefinable. But part of that's reflected in being surprised. So, like, basically, surprise me. If I read a script and the opening is yellow police tape and a dead body and some detectives talking about the dead body and then somebody shows up and says, I'm your new partner. (laughs) Right. You're not surprised. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Because I've read that 3,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Interest me. Have them say something interesting to each other. And you go, oh, I'm in. That was hilarious. Or that was really unusual. I'm so surprised. And then, because we all want to believe. So if you suck us in in one page or two, you've bought us. We're in for the ride. If we're just reading, you know, standard information, then we're not in yet. You know, and you want to hook people right away. Page one, really. Yeah, we've hired or tried to hire people just by reading their teaser because we're like, well, if they can write a good teaser, we don't need to bother reading the rest of this. Yeah. Because there's two things you look for, right, especially in writing. I'm focused on writing, directing is another matter. But the things you look for in writing is, one, character work, ideally. Not every show is heavy on character, but character work and dialogue can really clue you in. Or story. And what you won't get if you just read a teaser is whether someone tells a good story. Right. That's You have to read the whole script to get that. And some people are good at one thing, and some people are good at another, and some people are good at both. And all skills are valuable. Um, there's lots of people who are great with character, playwrights, who really can't write story. And the reverse is also true. But anyway, you're really looking to be surprised is the main thing. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is, and this is something you can't do anything about, either you have it or you don't, we are looking for a narrative, a story to tell about you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's yeah, it is what's on the page, and if if all I have to say is so and so, you know, graduated from Dartmouth last year and wrote this script, and uh, they come from Fairfield, Connecticut, there probably isn't a whole. That's not much of a story. It doesn't mean you're not a great writer or you can't have a great career, but that isn't much of a narrative. If I can say, did five years in solitary. <laughs> right. uh, for murdering his abusive father uh, and was in a gang and then learned to write in solitary and was picked up by, like, you know, Orange is the New Black. That's a story. Right. Right. <laughs> that Someone's makes our story you. really tame. Somebody's yes. going to read you. <laughs> like, you know, and it doesn't, or you came over on the Mariel boat lift or something, or, you know, your parents were arrested as foreign agents. I mean, right. there, <laughs> there are certain things, or you got an article published in the New York Times, or you, whatever it is, or you're a professor of sociology. It's, there are things about you that make you inherently interesting that's fun to say if you can say it. Right. Well, I have to say this goes directly to our episode four, which is titled What's Your Story, where yes. we talk about this exactly. So for people looking for guidance on, on creating their story, go to episode four. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, Matt, that I think is true, at least of you, and I think probably a lot of agents, is it seemed to us, it always seems to us that you're looking for people who have a lot of drive. Like, yes. Who want to get to that the top. A, that is a really good point. So thanks for bringing it up. Because the hard part is getting read and getting someone to pay attention to a baby writer. But the other thing is, just in terms of what you might look for in a client, there are people who are fabulously talented, they're internal, and they are going to be great clients. You can be any kind of personality and succeed. However, life is like high school. It just is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're popular in high school, you're probably going to be popular later. That's life. There are people upon whom the sun appears to be shining. So in terms of personality... If you are like life, confident, relaxed, somebody that other people want to be around, particularly in the TV business, because it's, community, it's a communal business, yeah. those things are really helpful. People want to help people they like. Once you get in the door on your script, then it's all about how you come across. So as an agent, what you want to know is you love it when you send a script out or a piece of directing a film out, and people love it, and then you send your client to a meeting. And what you want is for them to call you up and say, I freaking love your client. They are awesome. Yeah. I want them on everything, and I'm calling all my friends. Yes. That's what you want. You can't always get it, and it's fine that you can't always get it. But that is certainly a plus. This is me talking. about. I'm not talking about for other agents, but there are lots of people who are talented, and they can go work on a show, and they're absolutely worth having as clients and, and moving forward. But people who manifest real ambition and drive that want to you know, basically own the town, like, I want to put so many shows on the air, I want to get movies made, and you feel that could happen, that's very exciting. Yeah. You know, it's that drive that you respect, anybody would respond to. So you're right. That's another factor for sure. I mean, talent's the main thing because, you know, a lot of people early in their careers don't have the confidence to come across that way. And they grow into it. And that's fine. Now, Matt, would you say the process is the same or different if you're a director looking for an agent or an actor looking for an agent? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think that with directing and acting, there is something that you can actually see, right? right. So, I mean, it, I think it would be worth asking a talent agent, you know, this question that you've asked me, because I'm not normally, but I don't think, I would be very suspicious that most people wouldn't just get a headshot of somebody and go, okay, I'm going to go sign them. <laughs> right. Right. Somehow they have to have seen them, and probably somebody they respect has to have called them and said, I saw this incredible actor in a play, or I saw this piece of film, and I couldn't believe it, or we were blown away by somebody in an audition, you should, you know, but you know, someone's going to have to call the talent agent. And most of the time, 
it won't be at one of the larger agencies because we're so we're oftentimes waiting to see for someone to get more established. Mm. So I mean, if an actor's coming in that people don't know here, it's because someone saw them at a film at a film festival. Right. And mm-hmm. with the best of them. You have to be seen somewhere as an actor and also as a director, the same thing. So I think it's less likely that somebody would sign somebody off, uh, someone sending an email saying, I did this short film, would you look at it? Though it's totally possible. It's far more likely that you've got your film or your short in a festival somewhere and somebody saw it, either an agent or an executive saw it and raved about it and said, I have to. Because we do sign people on short films and stuff all the time. But the question is, how did you get to a point where people thought it was important enough to act on? And usually it's because it's been mounted somewhere mm. uh, that people went and saw it, and, and there was buzz on it. I think mean, that's usually what happens. And Matt, finally, what is your advice for all the people out there who feel like it's never going to happen for them, like they're just never going to get an agent? What should they do today? You know, there's two things to say about that. One, I want to go back to the way I started this call by saying, if you're talented, eventually you're going to win. Yeah. Okay, so just just carry that with you. The second thing is try to identify, for example, pr- producers who are looking to do movie projects or TV projects, you know, will frequently have executives that read for them looking for, you know, and they may be far more open to reading stuff that comes in over the transom because they're actually looking for projects. If they read them and like them and say, we want to meet with you, and which is what you want, you want to get your work in front of people. If you're having a hard time getting to an agent, I would look up managers. I would look up, you know, junior executives at different places. You just need one or two to read and like. Not easy, but read and like. And if they do really like it, they'll probably at least engage with you on the phone. Then I would say to them, do you know a manager or an agent that you Mm. like who you think would respond to this material? They'll probably make a few calls for you. I mean, they're not going to make a career out of it, right. but they might. They pick, they, but they might make a few calls for you. And I can tell you, you know, if you get a, if one of somebody like me gets a call from somebody they know that says, "I read this or I saw this and I really liked it." Normally, I wouldn't call you about somebody, but I really liked it. We're going to pay attention. Yeah. So there is hope, everybody. There's yes. hope. There is hope. You're, you you will if you've got if you're talented, this will happen. It may not happen right away, but it will happen. Well, Matt, right. thank you for not hitting delete on us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank and you, for Matt. being our agent for 15 years. <laughs> all right. You're welcome. You've been great. And all I right. wish the best to everybody listening. All we'll right. Talk to you Thanks, soon. Matt. Okay. All right. Bye. 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 And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. Sarah, this is a hack you came up with out of sheer desperation. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I have a really insane morning, especially now because Violet's um, – the, the time that she starts school moved up. Mm. So we, like, lost half an hour in the morning. Um, and there are so many just, like, little tasks that I need to accomplish in a really compressed time, like packing lunch, feeding the fish, feeding the dogs. You know, it's just, like – an overwhelming number of small things that need to happen to make the day work. So I made a morning checklist. Mm. I just, on a four-by-four Post-it note, I write down every little thing that needs to happen in the half hour of time that I have in the morning, and I put it on the cabinet door, and I just check it. Like, just as I go through the list, and if I've missed something, it's right there. I can put my snack in my bag because I don't eat the snacks at work. <laughs> All of those things that need to happen now, I just, they're right there in front of me, and I don't have to stress about it. 
And I know how much this does work because of the times when you don't check your morning <laughs> list. You come in and you say, I didn't check my morning list and now I forgot my snack. What am I going to do? Exactly. And I have a hungry fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just a good way to, like, start your day with your head on straight. Yes. And you only have to write the list once. It's the same list every day. It's every not like day. you have to do that every day. Well, I'm glad your mornings, Sarah, are less chaotic. <laughs> Thanks. Because that also puts you in a better mood when you come in to work. That's and true. Deal with me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. When have you gone out of your comfort zone? Tell us about it. Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Thanks to our agent, Matt Solo, and thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain, and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. You can find us on Instagram, too. I'm at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Anytime Liz talks about childbirth, it's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's funny.